Well, when you hear that song on JM in the AM, there's a good chance that one of my favorite people, one of the great heroes of the Jewish people, is going to be joining me within seconds on JM in the AM. And of course, it is the uh, co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh and uh, one of the people that has been facilitating thousands to make Aliyah from North America over the last 15 plus years. Rabbi Yehoshua Fass, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. Great to be on the air with you. I appreciate that very much. i got to catch you up on something which you'll appreciate, uh, Rabbi Fast. Remember, everybody, remember, please, as I've been reminding you, uh, last week they read Parsha Shlach in Israel. Rabbi Fast joins us uh, usually the week of Parsha Shlach, and he may have been wondering, as many others may have been wondering, who are tuned in from Israel, where's Rabbi Fast? Of course, we do it according to the diaspora schedule because this week, we read Parsha Shlach in the diaspora. Uh, so Rabbi Fass, I've been on a campaign, and frankly, some of my colleagues tell me I'm nuts, and some of my colleagues understand my frustration. Uh, I understand, uh, and I um, uh, completely get, why it is that, the, um, that there's a hesitation to, for the diaspora to catch up on the Parshiot schedule until the beginning of August. I understand that, you know, over the hundreds and hundreds and then eventually thousands of years of exile, uh, there was a diaspora-centric um, uh, arrangement of customs, and that diaspora-centric arrangement of customs gave us this, you know, certain parshas should be read uh, around or before Tisha B'av, and certain parshas should be read around or before uh, Shavuos, and we end up with not catching up with uh, Israel until the beginning of August. I have been... Um, I have been on this campaign, which again, many people consider a big waste of time or by fast. I've been on this campaign that now that the center of the world again, thank God, thank God, thank God, is Israel, certainly the center of the Jewish world, although if you look at what's happening in Bahrain right now, you might think the center of the entire world is Israel. Um, so I've been on this campaign that at, that the, at the most immediate point, right after Pesach, that we could catch up that makes sense. Uh, to catch right. up, we, we should, because we have to calibrate ourselves to be on the same schedule as the most important place on earth. And you, in your uh, presentation that we, that we will discuss, uh, that's now been released to the masses and that we proudly have, have transcribed and, and put on our Facebook page, and I'm hoping that a lot of people will print it out over, uh, over the next couple of days and bring it to their Shabbat table, you, ironically... As you wrap up this brilliant Dvar Torah for Parsha Shlach, you say we must undergo a spiritual realignment. And we could explain in a minute what that means in, in the context of your presentation. But I said to myself, wow, that's the word. That's the concept. We in the diaspora, we have to recalibrate. We have to realign and understand that now the center of of the Jewish world, thank God, is Israel. It's no longer diaspora-centric. It is now Israel that is the most, it's always been the most important, but you understand what I'm saying, that practically is the most important place for the Jewish world on planet Earth. Could you imagine that in addition to it making your point in this Tvar Torah, it went ahead and explained what we've been talking about for weeks since, frankly, Acharon Shal Pesach, that we in the diaspora must undergo a spiritual 
realignment. And I would argue we need to undergo a practical observance Torah custom realignment because we have to make sure to emphasize that Israel is the center of our world. And now I apologize for completely dominating this segment here at JMN. No, thank you so much for being our guest this evening. <laughs> now you definitely, you definitely, you, you definitely feel my pain. You definitely know exactly where I'm coming from, right? I know exactly where you're coming from, and I and and I love the latter sense of what you just added. And you know what's funny? You know what's funny? Colleagues of mine will say, and they've said this on the air to me because I made an issue of this again since Achron Shal Pesach. They'll say, what's the difference? Like, why are you making such a big deal about it? And you are somebody who gets why it's so irritating. It, I'm sure it gnaws at you knowing that Jews around the world are not reading the same Parsha as you are this Shabbat. Mm-hmm. It gnaws at me because there's, there, there needs to be at least an acknowledgement of a deficiency, that something is missing, something's unaligned, something needs this chiropractic adjustment. Uh, the fact that you don't even feel the crick in the neck is, is, is an issue, is disconcerting. Um, you, on the other hand, uh, are longing for that synchronicity or that synergy or that alignment, so you feel my pain and I feel yours. But for the masses who who just shrug their shoulders, and what difference does it make? So we'll catch up. We catch up. So we read differently. We read differently. Um, it's almost a disjointed nation without realizing what our fulcrum is and what our center, our mass center of gravity is, and that's what's disconcerting. 100%. And when you were asked to do this presentation, I keep referring to, and again, I'll tell people to go to my Facebook page and many others at this point that have shared it uh, to see your Dvar Torah for this week. When you were asked by the RCA to to give a message, it was with the thought in mind that hopefully rabbis in the diaspora, obviously they meant the U.S. and Canada, but, you know, why, why not extend mm-hmm. it? Rabbis in the diaspora would incorporate Aliyah, the topic of moving to Israel, the topic of making Israel the center of our world, this Shabbat, because Parsha Shlach, frankly, is the, you know, is frankly uh, one of the better weeks to do that with uh, the story of the Miraglim. So you do that, so you, you get this directive, and obviously you're you're glad to do this and to give a message from Jerusalem. So at this point, just like you do with us every single year, you're probably wondering and thinking, like, what direction should you go in? Like, what, what should you emphasize with this unique opportunity to hopefully influence a few rabbis uh, or, or a small or large percentage of the ones who are going to receive this? You know, to spend time talking about Aliyasa, how did that work for you? When you thought about what message to to issue to our rabbinic leaders, what thoughts came to mind? When I was reviewing the Parsha, and I had two weeks, actually, to prepare right. because we're at a thing. That's a little benefit of it, not to sound too hypocritical. Right. Um, it, it just struck me, uh, the, the episode, the few verses right after the, the, the spy the sin of the spies, the concept of the ma'apilim, the defiant ones, and how odd it was that they tried to recalibrate their compass, they tried to uh, repair the situation, and yet they were punished. And that cognitive dissonance um, really struck me as trying, that needed to be explored. And, I, and, and I, when I talk to many individuals in the, in the States, I, I hear from people saying, you know, I wish we could. At least it's not a complete dismissal. I wish we could. I know we should. At least there's a sense of where we belong. And, and the question is, why does that count? Does not, that not count? Is there value to that, to that struggle? 
um, and there was struggle in the desert as well. And was there value to that to that move? And it's uh, and that itself was the impetus to, to develop uh, the concept of of just focusing just on the episode of the defiant ones, right. the Ma'apilim, that group of individuals who charged the mountain, even though uh, God Hashem and, and Moshe said that they shouldn't. And that the plan plan A was foiled, and now they have to wander in the desert for forty years. And by the way, and by the way, uh, for those out there, rightfully, you know, considering people like myself a complete hypocrite, you know, preaching from the quote unquote mountaintop about Aliyah and, and sitting here in New York, your words are somewhat comforting. Meaning, and you were just alluded to this in your presentation, meaning that at least. Let us in the diaspora understand, recognize, and acknowledge that the Ratzon Hashem, the will of God, is that we should be in the land of Israel. At least acknowledge that. And once when that once that is established, once the diaspora, and again, same thing as we said earlier, you know, making Israel the center of our lives. Once that once that is acknowledged, once our rabbinic leaders get up and say, hey, everybody. Let's realize this is not where we belong. Let's realize this is, you know, not the center of our earth, of our world. Uh, once that happens, obviously, it's a very, very big step. So, yes, we're all hypocrites, those of us who preach. and, and Right, exactly. Uh, even give credit even to the, the conception, to the thought process, to the desire, even if it doesn't amount to actualizing that desire. But at least it shows intent, it shows desire, it shows will. It shows an alignment of where we should be and what we should want. And um, it does give comfort and also gives a challenge um, as well. You know, when you go back close to 20 years when you were living in the United States um, and, and you made this decision and went ahead, took your own family, and then took thousands of other families to Israel, uh, I, I would assume this was part of it, that you, you just had this feeling, again, gnawing at you, that, that you are not living the will of God, that if God is in fact the, the only guide uh, to our lives, if this is, you know, is the ultimate guide to our lives and his direction is the ultimate direction, then it just, it just doesn't feel right being in New York, Florida, or anywhere else. And I would assume that that was one of the things that lit the fire for you and, and your family and organization. It's not only that, but uh, I, I grew up in a very Zionist family, so did my wife. And we had, when we were dating, when we got married, we had intent to move to Israel. And it's fascinating, just the power of inertia or detours from life. And it ignored at me not just uh, the national responsibility, but just ignored at me at how far it came from my initial zeal and my initial plan, and how, how quickly one can detour from their ideological drive and destination. And uh, that itself motivated me. Um, to, to recalibrate that compass and to, to set ourselves back onto that initial highway, initial path. Right. Um, but we were very lucky that we were able to do it, and many individuals acknowledge that they've detoured, and it's very hard to, to GPS your way back to that, to that highway. Yeah. You and I have spoken at times over these years about the uh, commentators who, on this Parsha, point out how much more women love the land of Israel compared to us men, as much as we... Thank God, many of us really do love it. Uh, do you sometimes see that? Do you sometimes see that? A thousand percent. <laughs> your your wife is a much greater lover of the land? No, 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 no. Uh, well, we're equally, and I don't want to create any disparity between my wife. But, but, uh, 
but I see it with couples. I know if there, if there's some kind of uneasiness or a disparity within within couples wanting to move to Israel, if the wife is driven um, even more than the man, then it, it's you have such a higher success rate for successful aliyah and integration. Wow. Um, when it's the opposite, it's hard, it's difficult. But I've seen when 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 individuals are not on the same same path or same uh, wavelength. And uh, and the wives, the mothers are that karatabayit, meaning in a, in a philosophical, ideological way, it's um, it's a recipe for success. So yes, I agree with you. Our commentaries were correct on Prince Yeah. By the way, folks, you want to see it? Go to the Clay Yuckar on this week's parsha. It'll be it'll be blatantly obvious. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, you're you're. You're on the video, and we keep alluding to it, and I hope people check it out. And I'll encourage people to do so more and more tomorrow. And we uh, we have it in, in text form so people could bring it to their Shabbos table. And you're, you're discussing Rav Tzadok, and you know you're you're about to mention. This is the first time I'm you know the first time I'm watching this, first time I'm hearing it. You're about to mention how his his words were edited, how his uh, uh, what you know what he had to say regarding. Uh, um, uh, the, regarding the explanation, the commentary that that you're citing uh, was was altered. You know, a p- piece of it was left out. And I thought you were going to say, and I thought that where you were going was that they were worried about what you know non-Jewish people of that era might think. Uh, yeah. You know, you know where he lived. You know, in terms of uh, you know, the, the, we know over the centuries certain things have been edited because we're concerned. Uh, our predecessors, our ancestors, were concerned about what other communities might do or think, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's not what happened in this case. What happened in this case is that, is that in, the, in the earliest edition of the work that you cite, uh, his words were viewed as too Zionistic. And the Jewish people at that time, how would you put it? They simply weren't ready for it or, or couldn't accept the fact that someone of his caliber would write that way? How would you describe it? Either that or his supporters felt that it would diminish the impact that he can possibly make. So it was almost... Uh an editing of of uh, of some kind of what they felt in quotes uh, controversial comments to make sure that uh, the illustrious Reb Sado could have the the intended impact on his community, and, and that that's, uh, that self is devastating. Right, and that's a practice that we still see, unfortunately, today at times, and uh, and we also have to keep in mind that a good part of our people, uh, many would say majority, um, uh, you know, we're, we're not even. Uh, in favor of the founding of the state of Israel. We have to remember all this. And why do I say it? And why do I emphasize it today in June of 2019? Because if you see now (laughs) the way the world is reacting to Israel, just the change over the last few years, uh, the change where, as for one example, where many of the Gulf states would be supporting the enemies of Israel or remain neutral in the Arab-Israeli conflict, let's call it that, to give a really good generalization. And now you see a week like this one, Rabbi Fass, where where both business people and members of government of Gulf state nations, Gulf states, are, are declaring publicly that they want to work and invest with and take advantage of the technology and the acumen of the people of Israel and the state of Israel. And sometimes we just don't understand how different this is and how different a time we are living in compared to just a few years ago. Do you, what do you have to say 
about this new about this new attitude toward Israel. Amen, brother. <laughs> Just for what you said, but we need to. We're running so fast in life that we don't pause for a second. Just and to pinch yourself. You know, I wonder. We, we become so numb to so much of the so many miracles around us. We became like almost spiritually numb. Um, we 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 just pause for a second and take it all in. This is stuff of nivuot. This is prophetic stuff. You know, it's... and uh, we're just we're rushing by. We don't smell the flowers. We don't smell the miracles. We don't open our eyes and are cognizant of what's happening around us. And and it's. Uh, it's remarkable. It's simply remarkable. And, and the Miraglim, if they were around today, might say to those leaders of the Gulf states, you really want to work with yep. Israel? You really? You, you, are, are we that effective, that good? Are, we, is, are things going that well in this land for us? You know, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what they would say, frankly. Um, and the other point is, uh, and, you, and you know this firsthand because you spend enough time with members of the Israeli government, um, we are still able, we, the people of the state of Israel, are still able to thrive and to enjoy uh, an incredible life in, in 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 the majority of cases, thank God, uh, despite the dysfunction that it seems is going on in the Israeli government and the and at times with the leadership of Israel and all you know across the board. I would say both secular and religious leadership, uh, and nonetheless, things are able to move on at such an, an incredible pace. With such wonderful things happening, uh, it's not just that the you know that the state is spinning its wheels and staying stagnant and making it day to day. It's thriving with the most incredible accomplishments, and that's despite all the things I just mentioned. That's another miracle. It is a miracle. I would I would hold on our conversations on dysfunctionality for another parsha, <laughs> so that we don't follow in the FS um, a mantra of the Miraglim. But uh, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> things, things gloriously march on in this country. Um, I won't say that even though we'll keep that for maybe Pasha's Korach or another Pasha. That's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, you just reminded me, my father always was Machbid. Um, even, even if we weren't in favor of the weather uh, that was in Israel, you know, Pesach was too cold the year we wed, stuff like that. He, he, he didn't like us saying it. He said that there's never an excuse to say something negative like that, especially, especially flippantly. So, so I apologize for my fast. Duly noted, duly noted. That I should, I should have. Su- On behalf of the nation of Israel, we, we accept it wholeheartedly. I should have suppressed my words. So there you have it, everybody. It's Parsha Shlach and Rabbi Fast. In addition to understanding the pain of not being calibrated partial-wise, he also understands the pain of people not being calibrated to the will of God. Because again, Rabbi Fass, this Parsha clearly shows us what the will of God is. And as you point out in the Dvar Torah that I keep referring to, as you point out, uh, not only did he, did he explain the will of God, he did not allow for second chances. Once once the Jewish people represented by the Maraglim rejected his Ratzon, rejected his will, that was it. There was no going back and there was no way to repair it. And as you point out, that's a rarity in Judaism. In Judaism, through the concept of tshuva, both on a personal and national level, we're generally given a second chance, but this time that would not go. See, I was paying attention. 
you were paying attention. You started the interview with with not only the reference to the calibration, but about our religious observance right. and understanding the connectivity to, to Israel as well. I like to end with a thought. I was doing a, a bunch of rounds for Pasha Shlach. <laughs> so there was a newspaper that was interviewing me for the last couple of days. And the last question that I was sent is, if you're facilitating Aliyah, if your organization and my wonderful staff is facilitating Aliyah, whose responsibility is it to bring individuals to want to move to Israel. <laughs> and I paused for a second. I was like, that's like the same. It's analogous to going to the OU and saying, fine, so you're giving kosher certification to certain products, but who's teaching people? Isn't it your responsibility to teach people to eat kosher? That's mm. like, it's principals, it's communal leaders, it's parents, it's family. The fact that... The fact that we could ask that question about living in Israel, our homeland, and not ask that same question for other fundamentals in our religious observant life is extremely telling. And if you think about, if you think about the words of the Moroccan, it's, it's tourism, to scout out. We don't have that concept by other mitzvot. You don't scout out Shabbat. You don't scout out kashrut. You don't visit it for a week. You're all in. You understand what is needed of us, what is asked of us, and we struggle with it. I'm not saying that we all go in from zero to 60, but we understand that, it's, that we have to go all in. We have to invest ourselves in that mitzvah. But yet by Israel, okay, let's tour it. Let's visit it. We'll touch it. We'll taste it. Who's gonna? Who's, whose responsibility is it to teach them about Aliyah? Whose responsibility is it to teach them? Do you ask that question about Shabbat? Do you ask that question about Kashrut? So that was my last question on <laughs> that interview. No, I, I'm sitting here stunned because I mean this is a this is a point that I uh, I mean I've said this to you a million times and both publicly and and privately that. Uh, one of the stories that always sticks out in my mind is that uh, I met a young woman who had just gotten married and living in uh, living in uh, in Israel and in Ramat Hashkol with her husband. And she said to me, I went to a yeshiva high school, and in four years I was never told there's a mitzvah to live in Israel. And, yeah. and whether, again, whether that's an exaggeration or whether it's an aberration, whatever it is, it's a very, very important statement to keep in mind. And the... Um, and I, I again, you know, I, I've said to you that the, uh, you know, there there are there are synagogues and schools who will pro, who will present and promote a presentation on whether there it, on whether it is a mitzvah to live in Israel. And as much as there and, and as and as much as what I'm about to say might be slightly incongruent. There will never be, I pray, a session in our yeshiva high schools. Is it a mitzvah to keep Shabbos? Is it a mitzvah? Is it considered a mitzvah? You know what? What category of mitzvah is it to keep Shabbos? To keep kashras and all the things we just mentioned. And it's Correct. it's so frustrating to me. And but let's end off with something positive: the fact that we're speaking about Israel, the fact that uh, the RCA asked it for for advatolat to be sent out to shuls. The fact that this, I was interviewed for this newspaper to give some sense of optimism 
um, uh, about Israel and Aliyah and Israel connectivity um, shows that there is a change. There are winds of change that people, going back to that word we've been using this entire interview, are recalibrating our, our compass and reconnecting to, to the mitzvah of Aliyah, or even just thinking, even just having that, uh, that recognition and the concept of homeland, and hopefully passing that on to our children to let them understand of where we are, where we're supposed to be, what does God want from us. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone has to get on a plane tomorrow, but they should be cognizant of the fact of where, what Ratzon Hashem is. Hey, can I give you some nachas, or are you late for a meeting? I, I need nachas. Give me some nachas. You're not late. You're, you're guaranteeing me you're not going to... You're not going to walk into a meeting and say, Nachum Siegel just delayed, just delayed me. No, I'm all yours. <laughs> I'm all yours. There's not Latour at Nachum Siegel. I'm all yours. I'm standing on 37th Street in Manhattan this week waiting for somebody. And a gentleman walks over to me I haven't seen in a while, who I remember when he was born here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And I said, hey, how are you? What are you doing? You know, Update me what's going on in your life. He says, well, we, we just decided to jump in. I said, what do you mean? He said, in three weeks... Uh, or maybe it was even two weeks, July, whatever. Whenever there's a group flight, I think it was July third or tenth, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, we're, we're we're making Aliyah. We're making Aliyah. Mm-hmm. We're we're going. You know, taking you know, wife, family. We're going. That's it. And I said, "What are you, are you serious? That's unbelievable." So he goes, yeah, "Today," he says to me, "Today it's really hitting me because today the movers are coming." Like, like, you know, we we had all these we had all these esoteric, you know, and, and, and abstract plans, but today it's really it's really becoming real, right? Absolutely. When that, when that lift, when the movie company pulled away from your house, you're like, oh my God, there's no, there's no turning back. I have to run after my lift at this point. So as, as, it could be a great Aliyah campaign. We just go into different communities. We pack up their houses when they're like at, uh, at work. And we start sending it to the port. As, as he's telling me this part, of course, all I'm doing is thinking about you and, and, and laughing at him as well. Anyways, or with him. So anyway... He says, I said, where are you going? He goes, you know, I, I really don't know. We're going to Carnation Roan. I said, what? <laughs> You're going straight to Carnation We're going to Carnation Roan. We got some relatives there. We're committing there for a year. We have abs- We have absolutely no idea what the future holds. I said, I said, are you keeping your job? Do you have a job there? He goes, well, you know, I, I basically work behind the computer screen all day, so I'll work behind the computer screen in Israel all day, you know. And I said, well, you know, what, what can I? And, and, of course, you know, wished him the best and, and just, and of course, stood there thinking, you know, oh, why didn't I one day just jump in? But they're jumping in. They're jumping in, and they're in the Shomron, and they are, you know, all the Tainas on North American Jews who, uh, you know, who, uh, who, who criticize Israeli leaders who question the future of the Shomron, and they, you know, they come back with a Taina. Well, you guys, you know, never come here, and if you do, you never move here anyway. Well, this couple is proving all that to be wrong. And uh, that, is, that is how I'm going to give you some nachas today. Thank you so much. Great way to end our interview. And I look forward to seeing you next month in the Holy Land. And thank you so much for joining us today. And and think, well, you, and as you're friend. reading now, hang on a second. As you're reading, let me let me get my calendar. As you're reading Parsha's Korach, think of us in the diaspora reading Parsha Shlach this Shabbos. Now, I, I just I feel bad for my dad. My parents are invited to a bar mitzvah this Shabbat up yeah. north with yeah. a family from America. Right. And the bar mitzvah boy is reading Parsha Shlach. Right. You're serious. But my my parents have to read Korach, so they're having two different readings. This is like a double Pasha, Shlach Korach. <laughs>
Okay, I know we can't do this now because we have to end on a positive, but you know that that for the for the unity of the Jewish people, it would likely be better not to have people do different things on one Shabbat. Oh, a thousand percent, but that's not. We but, don't. It's not an preview of our interview right now, right. and I don't think we have the time for it. But um, yes. <laughs> Ah, we have a lot to consider as we uh, recalibrate and realign with our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land. Thank you, Rabbi Fass. Tadaraba. Thank you, Yudhidi. Thank you. Rabbi Yoshua Fass. He is, of course, the uh, co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh. By the way, I mean, it's the end of June, and I just told this great Aliyah story. Let me use this opportunity to remind everybody there's a website, nbn.org.il. nbn.org.il. It's Thursday at JMNAM. Shame in the end. My thanks again to Rabbi Fass. Unbelievable. Always a pleasure speaking with him. Thursday morning at 8.32, 28 minutes before 9 o'clock.